Hi, welcome to the Four Teachers podcast. Michaela here with you. Last week, James from ArchD and CESA's gifted education advisor, Dr. Rebecca Napier, spent the day in conversation with gifted ed teachers from all around Catholic schools in Adelaide about their experiences in this area, their journey, and what they've learned along the way. There was so much great stuff that we've released these as an entire series of podcasts. Check out the show notes for links to all of the episodes. Well, welcome to you both. Thank you very much for, for joining us here today for a conversation. Um, if you could start by introducing yourself, um, uh, what school you're at and how long you've been there for would be great. Um, I'm Matthew Wallace. I'm at Blackfriars Priory School and been there about five years now. Okay. Well, and what year levels do you teach, Matthew? High school. So I've got I've taught year seven all the way through to year 12. Mm. And I'm Kirsten Maycock from St Dominic's Priory College and I teach year seven and eight English, but I also am the key literacy teacher for the primary school. Uh, Matthew, was there a moment for you where that relationship from, um, I guess, kind of walking alongside the the gifted students in your classes and, and in the school, was there a moment where uh, uh, your connection became a lot more kind of intentional? My philosophy is always been meet the kids where they're at right and so if the if the kid is clearly um looking for deeper understanding or extension and then just pointing them in the right direction and then off they'll go and then they'll come back with some fairly insightful information and then they'll go out and they'll find it you point them in the right direction and they'll come back with a much deeper understanding of what they're researching Wonderful. Kirsten, for you, when did that sort of first connection with the with the world of gifted education and teaching gifted students, where did that begin for you? Um, I think it was probably in the UK when I was working in um, academically selective, a couple of academically selective girls' schools. And so that was quite an eye-opener for me to see the potential that students had. I'd never really pre- been presented with a class of and they weren't all identified as gifted, but definitely gifted girls. And it, I really enjoyed it. I got a lot out of um, extending them and talk, and the discussions that we could have. Uh, given your background with girls, I'd be quite interested to hear from you, but also from you, Matthew, how you see giftedness. How does that look similar or different with boys and girls? What do you notice? Uh, well, I actually, when I reflected on this question, I was thinking they're all so different. I could, mm. could generalise, mm. but actually... They're really different and it made it a little bit more difficult. I think, I mean, obviously there's commonalities. They're very generally really curious, have strong, passionate interests, I think. Um, but the some of them are amazingly social, amazing leaders. So I think mm. to say they all struggle with certain things is, is quite difficult. Mm. Mm. Thank you. What about you, Matthew? Do you notice any similarities or differences with the boys and the girls? Yeah, that, that really resonates with my experience as well. Um, a lot of the gifted well in where i see them in my role now they select to do the subject and so it's a stem elective and they'll come into the class and they're naturally curious they're often very open that they want to learn so there's there's not the behavior issues of trying to be sneaky or they just want to learn and get on with it and they want to be exposed to new ideas and ways to solve problems. Mm. So uh, that really resonates there. They often will come up to you, oh, Mr. Wallace, and then ask their question. They're really, really open, really social. They get involved in lots of things. So with 
students, um, Kirsten, we'll start with you this time. Like, what do you think, like, there, there are so many different needs that all students have, like, in, in, in every aspect. Um, what needs do you see that gifted students have in particular that might perhaps take people by surprise that they wouldn't know if they hadn't had the contact that you had with them? Yes, when they've sort of got something wrong. I can think of a particular student, they've got something wrong and they always get it right and they didn't really know how to handle that and deal with it. So I think that's something that we need to support. These very bright children who sometimes have perfectionist kind of tendencies is supporting them in... Um, and what do you do? Like, what, like in, in talking about that, like, what, what are the strategies that you can use to, to kind of like work with students who are not used to that and, and they really do take it personally? Well, we've had a few whole school strategies in terms of growth mindset and really talking about everyone struggling and what that means and what you learn from it and um, how important it is to work hard and keep trying and not give up. So we've tried to approach it in a whole school sort of. How about for you, um, Matthew, students that that really are excelling and really are kind of like, you know, uh, punching up and and really really doing very, very well. Do you see a a commonality of, of needs that those students have that that might take people who have a very fixed perception of what gifted students are like, you know, the sort of things that they have, uh, the, the, the needs that they have and the sort of abilities they have. What do you, what have you observed in your time as a teacher working with students like that, a, a particular need that might take people by surprise? I think the students themselves sometimes take the teachers by surprise um, with what they're doing, the level that they achieve, especially where they're allowed in the academic extension elective that mm. I'm involved in, they're, they're allowed to explore. There's not necessarily a set curriculum, they're set a project. And in year seven, there was one boy and he was doing some 3D modelling, started off on Tinkercad and then quickly moved to Fusion 360 and we're looking at tutorials and improving just the skills on the software. And that wasn't necessarily... It's sort of a side focus. That's a tool to teach problem solving. Mm. Came to class one day. He was ahead of all the other students in the work that I wanted them to complete to get an understanding of what 3D modelling was. And he had a shell of a racing car. So he'd, from a flat plane, had bent that around into what looked like a sports car. Right. And so that was <laughs> using... <laughs> Room to explore. Yeah. Room so, explore. and you know, year seven student using almost professional level engineering software to create and then could I 3D print this and so and then you can talk around that sort of thing and it just blows you away they come back and say oh look I just did this over the last couple of nights. So I'm wondering how your schools or how you even see society as accepting the label of gifted because that's there's been you know waves where it seems to be okay waves where there's a lot of pushback against just the concept of giftedness and people being labelled as gifted. So how does that work in your schools? Or what's your opinion in terms of Australia at large with our current society? Love to hear opinions on both. Well, I think it's interesting because when you talk about the word gifted, everyone seems to um, immediately assume you're talking about someone who is Einstein and needs no help, can do everything straight away. And so even if someone's identified as gifted, I think there's sometimes a tendency to go, what, they're not gifted? And I think... I may have been guilty of that in the past as well because it just has so many connotations. But actually if you just look at it as a child who's working way above their level in whatever subject, Mm. then I feel that we should be working with those children and providing for them. 
I've um, puzzled over this. My early experience with the gifted and talented seeing kids go off and, and come back and how they interact socially and then they become in their friendship groups and you worry about how do they interact, are they picked on, what are the other social implications of um, identifying a group and then on the other hand you say, well, no, we should be ce- celebrating excellence. We shouldn't have, like, we should be discouraging tall poppy syndrome. If kids are going off and doing something and excelling and doing it in their own time, we do need to celebrate it. So on both hands, there's sort of this struggle of are we going to ostracise students who may not have social skills or are we going to celebrate them and bring them into a group where they're accepted. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I can see that, and I've, I've, you know, I've had the the, the great fortune of, of doing a lot of work with with students at Blackfriars, not so much at, at St Dominic's, so I don't really know. So I'd love to know your opinion on this, Kirsten. But do you think, and I'd love to know from both of you, do you think that um, adopting a model of really high engagement in school activities, co curricular activities, school pride, um, you know, uh, and, and and what all of that means, really does benefit um, gifted students more? What do you think, Kirsten? I think that's true. I think having some opportunities that you can that these students can select for themselves, and and but also tapping them on the shoulder sometimes to invite them to be mm-hmm. part of some programs is important too. Um, I was talking with my Year Eight homeroom class, and they were saying that they sometimes felt pressure and that of being a high achiever and. Um, that they've got to get involved in everything and that often brought with us some pressure. So I think being a bit aware of yeah, what they're um, all balancing is is important too. But, yeah, I think at our school we're basically – we sort of operate a lot between them the, just offering lots of opportunities that they can um, opt into and we've at the moment got a, some that are tapping students on the shoulder and inviting them to join. So, Kristen, yeah. I'm just – in terms of that pressure, do you get a sense that they're pressuring themselves into – you know, having their fingers in all these pies or is that coming from teachers, parents? What's your sense? I think all, when we talked about it, it was all, some of it was their own pressure that they felt that once they'd achieved good results, you know, a couple of them were saying, I feel like I've always got to do that and if I don't, it's, I'm letting myself down, I'm letting my parents Mm. down. Um, And they also thought that the school system applied a bit of pressure that way. Mm. So coming from the inside and the outside, which makes for quite a lot of pressure. So that is something we do need to be very aware of. And that that actually made me think about it deeply when they were saying as well, even the awarding of prizes gave them a sense of pressure too, that once they'd received a prize, they had a benchmark that they had to work towards. I'm sure there's, for, for, for both of you, like lots and lots of stories about ways in which uh, your school has really um, uh, engaged with gifted students in a really effective way. But I'd love to ask you, if you had to choose one that immediately jumps to mind, not if you think about it, but one if you- <laughs> What is if, your gut instinct what, you? the, the first one, when I said that, the first one that jumps to your mind where you've just gone, you know, that was a real win. Ways. One was a um, co-curricular activity. It was a STEM competition and the boys went off as a team team um, and they just had technical problem after technical problem after technical problem and really didn't achieve the goal of the activity of the day but the teamwork and trying to solve the problem and engaging with each other there were five or six and there were year 10 students at the time and they just were so down on themselves but so supportive of each other we did our best there was an issue, we tried to solve it, and you did really well. And so they were really affirming of each other. Mm. And that that was like coming back on the bus from that activity. That was like, well, don't worry about it, guys. Things happen. That's what happens in the real world. And, 
you know, you're allowed to be disappointed, but we got to move on. Yeah. And then when they had the awards presentation, there was a, like a trade display and they'd set up what they'd done and they've given a talk on how they've gone about building the drone and what they what they wanted to achieve and what their problems were. They ended up winning the competition because they were able to really explain each problem that happened, how they were challenged by it, what they tried to do and how they came together as a team Great. and how they didn't fight about things, oh, no, it's all gone wrong, and then have a meltdown and not achieve anything at all. And right. so they were. that was like, wow, this is what it's all about. You're getting some kids together, even though they know they haven't done their best on the competition day, they win the overall competition because of that level of engagement and their passion about what they wanted to do mm. and give the best talk they can in front of the judges. That, that was something that was, um, I think that was really good because it was more than just, oh, we're flying drones and taking photos and solving an uh, engineering problem. We're actually cooperating and get some deep learning out of it. And communicate experience. too from what you're saying. Like, mm. and, we, and this is a sort of a theme that we see coming up is that um, um, students who really excel, gifted students, communication, collaboration is something that, that can be a challenge uh, along the way. Oh, absolutely. And it's, I don't think it's like in, some kids are more talented at communication and they're social. I'm not very social. My wife's very social. And so I can see from a, a different um, perspective skill sets. that there's different skill sets but just giving the kids the opportunity so they're confident it's yeah. not that it's not that no, I'm an introvert and antisocial it's just that it might not be a net natural skill set and the students who maybe in a classroom would be isolated can then have opportunities to engage positively in a group. Yeah. And so that opportunity is really important as well. Mm. How about for you, Kirsten? Was, has there been a moment that, that immediately springs to mind? I'm actually going to go in a completely different direction. So I was in the classroom um, with Year 7 um, English and we were looking at a poem that could have been accessed in different levels. Mm -hmm. And I remember one girl who was definitely gifted and she was she was commenting that she thought that maybe it was about heaven and hell it, it, on the surface it was about a storm being stuck in a storm and her comment which which went really deep then also got the rest of the class talking about it so I actually managed to get from that some amazing discussion with students who would not have been thinking like that so I actually she was her You're insight yeah. actually spurred the other students on in the classroom too and get and I still remember that lesson coming out thinking wow, we've talked about feminism, we've talked about heaven, we've talked about all these deep concepts through this one poem and her comments. For the other conversations in this Gifted Education Teachers series, you can find the links in the show notes in this episode. The Four Teachers podcast is produced by James Meston and me, Michaela Howard-Jones, for ArchD Radio and Podcasting. Be sure to check out the other shows on this channel for great content about teachers, by teachers, for teachers.